you need to be this person who adds a different kind of value that no other freelancer or other freelancers are not willing to give to them. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Writers in Tech, a podcast that brought you by the UX Writing Hub. My name is Yuval Keshtecher, and I am the founder of the UX Writing Hub, and I'm here to help you to accelerate your UX writing and content design, whether if you're a company and you work in a company and you want to accelerate your UX writing or you want to learn everything about UX writing and content design, I am here for you. And today we have a brilliant guest. Her name is Tricia Hinkbit. Tricia is leading international and online writing communities based in the Philippines. I've been following Tricia and her content for many years now. And I think that her work is just amazing. And I'm very happy that you're here with me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited to be here and to share what I want to share with you. Thank you for being here. Tell me a little bit about your journey today. You're running a very cool agency named Blue Salmon Solutions. So tell me, how did you manage to build this amazing agency that you run today? Oh, yeah. So it really started when I was still working as a junior content writer. So I was working at an office, right? And I started feeling like something was missing after clocking out. So I was very happy with my job, but I still felt like something was missing. So I started looking for communities, volunteering opportunities. And that's when I got to know tech community leaders here in Davao City. So I got to know how tech companies work, about managing events. And from those experiences, from volunteering in those communities' events, I've gathered my learning and then applied that to freelancing, which eventually inspired me to start Blue Salmon Solutions. Combining my learning from working as a full-time writer, freelancing, and then joining those communities in Davao, that's where I, I got the confidence to start my agency, which is the Blue Salmon Solutions. That's amazing. I also found myself volunteering in different tech events a few years ago when I wanted to get into UX. So it's quite of an interesting path to, in order to become something bigger and better than you are today, or like when you look at like some kind of a vision. So surrounding yourself by the people that are actually doing the things that you want to, to do or become and going to tech events, volunteering if possible. That's very like proactive approach. I really appreciate that. I think it's a very positive way to to do that so i yeah. think it's cool and tell me more about your agency so it's mostly about content marketing or ux writing how exactly and uh, does it work yeah so the funny thing is that i actually started it on my own but i met my colleague a ux researcher from my former company which is poplar homes so i got very close with her and I didn't expect her to join me as a user research advisor in Blue Salmon Solutions. So originally, I was only offering content strategy services 
like improving a website's copy, providing them with content like blog posts, social media posts, capability decks, uh, those kinds of stuff, case studies. But now I'm, me and my partner, we are considering offering user research services as well. And the services under that service is participant uh, recruitment. So we can help companies search for participants and then screen them and recruit them whenever they have research initiatives that they want to start within their product teams. So those are the kinds of services that we are planning to offer soon. But right now, I'd like to share something that we are practicing in our little agency. Because we are UX professionals, we are treating our agency as similar to our research initiative as well. So we are considering these different ideas and having this testing mindset that we need to start with gathering some ideas first and testing them with the market and then find out if we're offering the right kind of services and then analyze what we learn from our clients from testing our services and then apply those improvements to our services. And then as we go along, as we serve more clients, as we work with more clients, we are practicing design thinking, which is what we did in our former jobs as UX professionals in our former company. So that's one of the things that I'm really proud of in my little agency. So we have clients right now, but, you know, when it comes to our services, we are practicing this testing mindset, just like what we did when we are, when we were working full time as UX writers and user researchers. And uh, when clients reach out to you, what exactly do they expect you to do? Like how usually do you onboard a client? How do you onboard a client? How do you manage a client? Oh, yes. Our clients often come to me when they need copywriting services. So most of the projects that I really get are website copywriting. And from there, I actually teach them that I can also help you improve your product copy. Because I also do UX audits and I notice some usability problems in their product. So for example, my client has a website and then he has a product. So I got to access these test accounts and then I get to experience the product as the premium user. So I share my suggestions, my insights to him that, hey, we could really add some useful microcopy here. And then that becomes the upsell. So originally, clients don't come to me for UX writing because sadly, they're not yet too educated about it. And that's our role to help them get to know more about the importance of UX writing and content design. So the UX writing part comes comes as an upsell, but what they come to me, what they are most familiar with is website copywriting. They know that, oh, my website really needs to improve its copy because it sounds really bad and it's very generic. So that's where I come and help in. And then I also offer my UX writing service as, as an upsell, you know, that, hey, why don't we add this? It, it could really help the user make a well-informed decision when they're about to complete this task. So yeah, basically UX writing becomes the upsell. When clients come to me and then I onboard them, hey, this is how we work. And then after signing the contract 
and paying the upfront payment, I will start working on your website. Just send me your Figma wireframe if you have one, and then we can work from there. So after that, the collaboration becomes very easy with using Slack, Figma, and then video calls from time to time. But we rarely do video calls because Slack is enough for us to collaborate. Nice. That's a good process to onboard a client. That's a question I, I think related. Do you usually go into your client's Slack account or you invite them to your Slack account? Oh, yeah. So I actually invite them. And then I share like a Notion workspace. So I create a dedicated um, team space for them. So Notion makes it actually very easy for me to manage the project because it allows the clients as guests to edit the content and then make some comments on any content that we have to complete. So those are my three <laughs> uh, most commonly used tools right now. It used to be ClickUp, but I realized that it isn't fit for a small team. So we're still a small team. So Notion is really better for us. So I use Notion for managing my projects. And then I create automations and those are automatically sent to Slack. So whenever I change the status of a project from in progress to completed or ready for reviewing, that automatically sends a notification to Slack that, hey, the cloud Trisha just edited this particular sub item from in progress to ready for review. Yeah, that's how I work with my projects right now. The clients are basically very much contented with just a Slack update, updates. Yeah, rarely they do use Notion. Only a few use Notion, but, you know, they tend to get overwhelmed. So they prefer Slack and that's what they, <laughs> that's what they prefer. Actually, just send me the, the sec executive summary. Just send me the updates and let's get and in let's get into it. Uh, very cool. Looks like a cool way to manage your projects. I like also the fact that you use automations also yeah. to update via Slack. So every client basically have their own Slack channel or you have like one client Slack channel and you kind of like separate them between different... Oh, they're actually use Slack Connect. So it allows me to create like an external sort of like group chat with their own Slack workspace. So that's a feature that lets me easily organize my conversations. So I don't need to invite mm. them to my workspace. Yes. And I have another question to you about doing your project management on Notion. Yes. So that's a, a tricky one, how to manage your clients and so on. For example, like I'm lately been doing these things where I want to give my client the opportunity to kind of like submit tasks and then it will be automatically documented everywhere and notify me when they submitted it. Let's say that you work with the client on a day-to-day -day yes. basis, right? Mm -hmm. How usually you, you manage projects like that? So with Notion, it's actually easy for me to ask the client to make some changes or particular item or a project. So for example, I invite them as guests. So their sharing settings or their access settings would be that they are allowed to edit, to comment, but they're not allowed to duplicate that page as a template. With that access, you can cre also create an automation for that. And it automatically sends a notification to your Slack. 
And all you have to do is to make sure that whenever on whenever you're on your desktop, that those notifications show up and they are visible. And it also helps that I have Slack on my phone. I used to, <laughs> so I'm sorry for sharing this, but when I was still working full time, I used to delete Slack every weekend and then just install it again <laughs> on Monday because I, I wanted to have that peace of mind and I just wanted to have that time to myself because I can't help but read everything. The threads, it's one of my unhealthy habits when I was still working full-time at the startup. I can't help but read the threads. And whenever that red notification or that red badge appears, it's so irresistible. So yeah, that's what I did. But now that I'm freelancing and managing everything, it's a must for me to have Slack on my phone. Because you'll never know if a client has an emergency question. So I owe it to them to at least send a small reply or like provide a small clarification. I see. But, you know, with that being said, you don't want to be available all the time for your clients, right? You don't want working as a freelance yeah. could be daunting, right? It's, it could manage your life. So how do you still finding a way to, to find time for yourself, to make sure that you're not being constantly managed by Slack notifications all the time uh, and clients' mm -hmm. uh, emergencies, right? Oh, yeah. That's what I actually had to really take initiative to remind myself to really be mindful of my notification settings whenever it's in the weekend. So I actually learned how to um, control myself to not reply whenever it's Saturday. So when it hits 12 a.m. it's Saturday, I'm inaccessible. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm not in this world anymore. So off the grid. yeah, I'm off the grid. So even if I see them pop up their name, so I'm actually proud of myself for having this control to not reply because it's really what you need to do because you also need some time for yourself to get out and to just not be in that constant state of thinking and thinking about your thinking and then thinking of ways or like what you need to reply to them. So yeah, I agree with you that, of course, we also need some time off from our world when we are working because it helps in recharging ourselves. Yeah. We must do that, right? Yes, yes. I have a question about something you, you've mentioned before that usually your UX writing services are an upsell where a client reach out to you about like copywriting and stuff like that. Do you think writers should have different pricing tiers for copywriting versus UX writing or like you charge flat fee, same hourly rate for uh, this type of work? Oh, yeah. In my uh, service, um, I actually offer... I don't offer UX writing right away, so it's not included in the package. So it has a different fee. I really make sure to make that clear to the client that you're paying for another service, which is writing enough copy or copy that is appearing to your users on your product. So that is another payment on your part. So you have to pay for another service if you want to add that to the package. In terms of charging different rates, I really think it depends on you. Having those guidelines that you can read, for example, from UX Writing Hub, from reputable writing agencies, that really helps 
to set a standard for yourself if you're still confused with how you price your services. So that's how you clear up the confusion. And if you're not too confident with setting like a price for yourself, so you go to the sources and then look at the writers, the UX writers, how much you're offering. So you search for the median rate and then you evaluate if I can offer this rate, if this matches what I can offer with my bandwidth and with my skills, then I should go for it. So that's my go-to technique. I search for a couple of copywriters, professional copywriters, and then I look for their median rate and then assess, really assess if I can offer my skills at this rate and if it would be fair to the client and to my skills and to my experience, then go. It's your choice. After all, in the end, it's you who can really evaluate your skills. But if you need help, I think there are coaches for that that can help you. I follow this really good coach on Instagram. It's really funny because I actually like Instagram as a learning tool. I love the feed. The feed is actually getting good. The search feed, it displays the topics that I want to learn. So for example, UI design, creative careers. So I follow this coach. I think her name is Ivy Malik. And she has this really engaging post about creative careers. Because when you're creative, it's not necessarily that you're good at managing your career or you're good automatically at building a business. Because sometimes when you're creative, you're focused too much on your craft. So you often the business side for granted. So I think she has this she has that good product market fit. She found her niche, which is those creatives that are having trouble with managing or like monetizing their skills. So yeah, I think yeah, that's where you can start as well. So aside from reading this reputable guidelines, you can also search for coaches who are particularly focusing on helping creatives monetize their skills. Because these coaches, I think they are creatives as, as well, and they have been in the same place as we are. So they can help you with that as well. If you could send us some examples like the one that you've mentioned that we'll add it to the show notes, I think. The feed of Instagram can change on the algorithm of Instagram. So you yeah. can see so much nonsense also over there. Yeah. So yes, after you follow like the right people, it, it's kind of optimizing it towards it. So if you yeah. send me some good coaches, I'll add it in the show notes and maybe we could help everyone to sure, optimize their sure. feeds for doing better like I, career coaching and such i have two that i follow so i'm I, sure i'm for sure gonna send you their names thanks i wanted to ask you also about the business model of an agency so you told me about okay how should we price ourselves and that we could maybe price differently from copywriting to ux writing i agree but how do you recommend to price yourself like hourly daily, monthly retainer, based oh. on bandwidth? Like how usually do you manage your clients or what would be your recommendation based on your experience? Well, so the way I work is that for me, there are two types of clients. So first, there's the one-time client. 
And then the second one is the retainer client. So the one-time client is actually sometimes a person who is very curious about what you have to offer, but they're not ready to commit yet. So these are clients who are willing to work with you, but only on a one-time project. You can still sign a contract or an agreement with them, but they're going to, that contract is going to end once the project finishes or once the project completes. And then from there, it's up to you to upsell on making them sign a retainer agreement with you. So we move forward to the next type of client, the retainer client. So these are clients who are already trusting you enough that they are, they are willing to work with you for a longer time. Because for me, it's not about the money. A client becomes comfortable with you when they know that they can trust you and when they know that you can communicate well and then you have the same values, your, your thinking, your mindsets are aligned, and then you can also handle conflict very well. So that also comes with it. So these are the clients who are very confident with what you have to offer. They trust you. They have faith in you. And then the time component there is very, is actually an important factor more than the money itself, more than what they are paying you every month, because, you know, they're spending more time with you and they are actually compromising. They are compromising this opportunity cost that they could have spent instead on another freelancer. So those are the types of clients that you can try working with and you can have this framework. And it's not all the time that a client only works on one project with you that they that doesn't mean they don't like you. That just might mean that they're not ready yet or you need to work harder to win their trust. And then you need to prove to them you need to be this person who adds a different kind of value that no other freelancer or other freelancers are not willing to give to them. So you become this partner or this trusted colleague or friend even. You, after, it's not like, okay, the project is finished. So send me your payment. I'll send you the invoice. So uh, a relationship can't grow on that kind of treatment. So a client only stays at a one-time basis. If you keep on putting up that front, that, that transactional kind of relationship. Yes, you need to win their trust for you to really show your value so that you're given a chance to show your value to them as a partner and not just a copywriter or a UX writer. I have three more questions. The question that I have for you right now would be like to the people that are curious right now, they're listening, they say, okay, all of these things about working with the client sounds amazing, but how do you get even clients it's difficult so how do you find clients oh yes i was very fortunate to have been networking with a lot of tech people years ago so i mentioned earlier right that i was volunteering for tech communities in Davao. so that's where i got to know them and then we were co-volunteers in this particular event we become friends we become close and then Whenever they remember that some client of theirs needs a writer, they always refer me. First is the referral basis. 
So if you want your referral basis or if you want your referral pipeline to grow, you have to work harder with networking and knowing more people. But if you're the, the shy type and if you hate networking, you can always try content marketing because it doesn't require you to reach out to people specifically. It's inbound. So you start to post educational content, content that really provides value to your target clients. And then make sure to communicate a call to action that, hey, um, did you like my post? You can always book a free consultation and you can always um, send an email. And then another thing is that the good old outreach. So you reach out to people and make sure that you don't send this generic DM. So you really have to work hard and make sure that you're making a good impression and not just there's just a name on the list. So the client is very sensitive to that kind of um, approach. So you need to make sure that you're making a very natural, very friendly approach to them. Because after all, you're talking to people. You're not talking to like a brand or a name on the wall. <laughs> so yeah, the, those are my three tips. If you want your referral system to grow, you have to keep networking so that more people can refer you. And then second is post more educational content. And then third is work on your outreach skills. Thank you very much. Very good tips. All right. Um, I, want to I want to share with you a story about this client that I had. I have this client. They say, listen, we are a fintech company and we're looking to do this like user flow. It's a KYC flow on our customers, like very standard in the fintech world. Yes. Well, you need to like turn to the an audience that is listening. So like when you join a financial institute, you need to like upload your ID and info to, to show them like who you are so they could trust you. So I had this client and they were like, hey, we want this flow to be disruptive and gamified and blah, 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 like noises and so on. And sometimes you have this type of clients just, that just don't get you extracting because that's obviously a bad solution yeah. for a user flow. You don't want to create like noise to your users. So I decided to take action and I created my version, which I thought was good. And, and their version, I presented their okay, version yeah. and I told them, listen, I don't think it's good. Do that. And they like yeah, completely sure. didn't... They, no, they didn't like this, my version. They were like, no, it's not good enough and so on. And I find myself telling this client, listen, I don't think we can work together. What do you yeah. think about firing clients? Is it, is it something that happened to you or oh, yes. what would be your approach in a situation <laughs> like that? Oh, yes. Um, the thing is, you have to finish what you need to finish with them first. So the, these are deliverables and you let them you break it to them gently. <laughs> so you start with, you appreciate your time together when you were working on your projects. But being honest always helps that you have to be completely upfront that why you're parting ways with them. Because in that way, they can also learn from the experience. And they can also see you as someone who is very proactive, but at the same time, you're leveling with them. 
as person that, hey, I'm talking to you as a person and not as a client anymore. So I really appreciate what we have gone through together, what we have achieved. But unfortunately, our time has come to part ways. And of course, your reassurance comes after that, that, hey, you know, no hard feelings after this. I'd really love to keep in touch if you want. Yeah, that framework helps. You break it to them. At first, you need to finish your deliverables first. You really have to make sure that you don't have any unfinished tasks left with them so that they can blame you for anything that comes after your separation. And then after that, just talk to them like a person, see them eye to eye, and then make sure that you add in reassurance that you won't be feeling any bitterness towards them and some other types of any kind of reassurance as long as you communicate it to them. Okay, so first of all, great information here in this episode. Trisha, you've been running one of the agencies that I appreciate the most, and you walked us and walked me through every step of, of how you run it, how you find clients, how you even fire clients. And I think <laughs> that was quite of a, an interesting episode for many people, especially now where so many people that I know going towards freelance because there are layoffs and you can't count on companies to work full-time yeah. in those companies. So many people have to figure out right, figure it out right now. So thank you for that. And you should ask the guest, how do you think we should name this episode? Oh. Um, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of an exercise that we're doing. Yeah. About freelancing or agency work or... Oh, yeah. So freelancing and starting my own agency. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. How to start the UX writing agency like yeah. a pro. From <laughs> like a or... pro, really. <laughs> <laughs> so I can be like from community building to starting my own agency, I think. That mm, that's a good one. We didn't talk a lot about your efforts building online communities. Maybe we should save it for the next episode. Oh, yeah, sure, because, sure, uh, sure. You have one. Oh, yeah, we can definitely go with the agency angle. Yeah, sure, sure. I think that your uh, group on Facebook called... It's Filipino Remote Copywriters. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, and that's like another thing that you're doing that is just amazing. And probably next time we can cover that. All right. So, Tricia, thank you so much for being here today. It, thank you so much. You're and thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Writers in Tech. My name is Yuval Keshteher, founder of the UX Writing Hub and host of this podcast. The UX Writing Hub is an online education platform helping people to get into the field of UX writing. We also work as an agency, so we help clients as well with their UX writing efforts. We're very picky. We don't choose any clients. We fire our clients as we talked about, as we should. We get only clients that specifically needs UX writing. And thank you everyone for joining us. And thank you, Trisha. It was amazing. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.